Make home your favorite new restaurant this spring with Omaha Steaks delivered straight to your door. Have you ever wondered what makes Omaha Steaks so good? It's the aging process. Omaha Steaks are aged at least 21 days. That's where the magic happens. Try these mouth-watering steaks in the Butcher's Best Sellers package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code VOICES into the search bar, and save over 50% and secure exclusive pricing. Included in the Butcher's Best Sellers package are four iconic fork tender Butcher's Cut Filet Mignons, four ultra-juicy burgers, four savory pork chops, four kielbasa sausages, four rich and decadent caramel apple tartlets. Yum, I love those. And so much more. In addition to getting more than 50% off, you'll also get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free. All you have to do is visit omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar to order the Butcher's Best Sellers package today. Save over 50% plus get four free chicken breasts and four burgers, all from the company that's been bringing people together for over 100 years. That's omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, and yes, I am still quarantined in D.C., but not for long because now vaccinations are available to my age group, and I am pre-registered, so any day now. My returning guest is OBGYN Dr. Leah Torres. We had such a good conversation. This is a fantastic show that I think everyone should listen to, and I think you should share it with your friends, especially share it with parents. So much good information. We talked about sex positivity. We talked about abortions. We talked about what parents should say to their kids about sex, at what age they should start talking about sex. Just a great show. So before we get into it, you know I like to keep these intros short. I do have a new tier on Patreon that allows listeners to listen ad-free and just with a quick intro... I'll get to that in a minute, but the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast, and it's supported by listeners. It's also woman-run, and patrons keep this show going, so thank you to everybody who supports this show. If you enjoy my conversation today, take a look at the About page. You're going to see that most of the time, I have political conversations. Occasionally, I interview actors about their craft, because I used to be an actor, and I love talking to them about that. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Again, go to that About page. You're going to see the different tiers, all that good stuff. I do two free shows a week on Mondays and Wednesdays. They are followed up by a what's up segment with me. I usually talk about personal stuff about my life. I've decided that it's kind of, kind of become like a little bit of a diary. And then once a month, I usually do a patrons only podcast with a guest. And then, like I said, I've added that additional tier. And what that's going to get you is everything I just mentioned delivered to your email box. You get access to all of it. Plus you get that option of having an ad free show. Once again, that's patreon.com slash startmeup. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I always include my email. You can use that with PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, Apple Podcast Store, become a subscriber because it's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review. Okay, please enjoy my awesome conversation with Dr. Leah Torres. Welcome back to the show, Leah. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Always great to be on. Well, you know, you're a fascinating woman to me. I'm I like I've said to my boyfriend Bob Seska that I wish that you were my gynecologist, except that I would even though we're not like friends and we don't hang out, it would still feel kind of weird. But I, I still would like for you to be my doctor because you're so 
oh my God, you're just so cool, calm and measured. And I just want to say that, you know, that I recently had an, a debate with Joe Walsh about a abortion and I contacted you and I was like hey is there any advice you can give me and you sent me this video and actually told I think I told Joe I did tell him that I researched and that I talked to uh, a doctor about this but um, you sent me this video where you were talking to this dude I think he was in Australia he was a conservative and he was anti-abortion and I was so impressed. I mean, both of you handled yourself pretty well. He was fairly respectful. He didn't yell at you or call you names or, you know, the typical <laughs> stuff. But, you know, I mean, he definitely had his issues and he brought them up to you. And you were always just so freaking calm and measured. And it was like, wow, it's just you're, you're very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> well, gosh, Kimberly, I can't thank you enough for that. And one of the highest compliments I can ever hope to receive is the I wish you were my doctor compliment so that's, yeah. that's huge you know, so I appreciate that um <laughs> I really yeah, that do was a super fun experience with um, I bet. <laughs> David Pellow it was crazy no I'm, I'm I'm I appreciated his approaching me he did make you know certain assurances that it would not turn into some you know derisive conversation mm -hmm. um but you know it's an opportunity to put those points forward so that other people can understand what, what the discussion actually is about. Yeah. And I hope that that came through and I appreciate you speaking to Joe Walsh about it because again, I feel like people in general just get into their own talking circles, but it's not an informed talking circle mm -hmm. and people yeah. who are actually doing the work are left out of the conversation. Yeah. And I mean, it was really helpful because I used a lot of the arguments that, you know, with Joe. And the funny thing was, you know, Joe is is very different than I am. Clearly, he's a conservative. He's a libertarian, which I said, you're contradicting yourself by calling yourself a libertarian because the libertarian platform is uh, pro-choice. And mm -hmm. but he is a Catholic and he also thinks that the United States government's job is to protect life. And so I knew the life issue, and, and we're not going to make this whole thing about abortion just to the people listening, but I do have to bring a couple of these things up. But I mean, because um, I have other questions for you. But, uh, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get past life thing with him. And when I was listening to you talk to this guy, you were saying uh, this, that's a philosophical concept. And I thought that was such an interesting way of putting it when you have an embryo or where you have a fetus. And, you know, you, you were on the show before and you talked about the fact that um, and, and there's all kinds of literature out there as well talking about the fact that fetuses do not feel pain up until a certain point and, um, and there's so much to it and one of the best points that you made is at what point does the fetus's life trump the mother's life and you know it was funny because I did not convince him to become pro-choice but he basically admitted that I won the argument and, and I asked him, I was like, well, so then if we get, if, you know, if everything goes your way and, and abortion is outlawed, then should the woman or the doctor be punished? And it was like he, he, his answer was so funny to me because it was almost like he was defeated, like, no, I don't think the woman should go to jail and I don't think that the doctor should go to jail and I don't have the answer. And, you know, and it's funny because there are so many people out there who want to call you the obvious baby killer and those names and he admitted that he used to use those terms um but i genuinely believe with him and there are people like him out there who who have it in their head that it is wrong 
and that, you know, that it is a life and that life needs to be protected. And it's not necessarily about controlling a woman, even though that is the end result. That is not necessarily everybody's intention, but it is the result. And, and so I just want to say again, thank you for those talking points. And I think that your presence on Twitter is so important because watching you deal with these internet trolls, especially the ones about abortion, um, you're very good at just, again, it's that calm, measured approach. And so what I want to start talking to you about, I mean, we'll get to a couple of the things about abortion in a minute, but you have sex positive in your bio. And I just wanted to, I mean, I'm sex positive, but I wanted to ask you, why did that term have to be invented? Oh, Kimberly, how long is your podcast? (laughs) So that is, goes so far back, right? Like we have such a history of sex negativity, sexual oppression, specifically of women. And of course, I'm going to use cisgendered language here. Mm -hmm. And I understand that, uh, you know, trans people are there, but it's for the sake of argument and historically speaking, I kind of have to cisgender this a little bit. Mm -hmm. There's been millennia, let me repeat, millennia Mm -hmm. of oppression of female sexuality. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Well, I have personally several theories, but if you're getting down to brass tacks, I will tell you this. I think it all focuses on that portion of the population. There's only one portion of the population that can make people. (laughs) People form armies. People Mm -hmm. form communities. People form government. Mm -hmm. To be able to make people is a super-duper power (laughs) that once upon a time needed to be, uh, according to the part that couldn't make people, Mm -hmm. needed to be controlled, quashed, oppressed, um, fall in line. You know, any of these things, you know, will fit the narrative. Mm -hmm. So how how do you control that portion of the population that can make people? You control the mechanism by which that is done. So you shame sex. Hmm. <laughs> shame wow. the sexuality of the people, you know, those who can make other people. So let's just generalize and say women. Mm-hmm. And that way you can help control the population. You can help control who's having babies, who's not having babies. I mean, you get into the whole eugenics thing. Mm-hmm. It, it goes back so far and so deep, that I think it all centers around that. And so I have sex positive in my bio because People are people. Sexuality is sexuality. Human beings are sexual beings, and there's a whole spectrum, as you know, from asexual to pansexual. Mm-hmm. There's not just homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual. Mm-hmm. We, that's, a, that's a categorization that is man-made, quite mm-hmm. frankly, mm-hmm. and it does not fulfill the entire spectrum of human sexuality. So... Human beings being sexual creatures, it's inhumane to then take that away from one portion of the group of human beings, Mm -hmm. to to remove the power of sexuality, the enjoyment, the pleasure of sexuality from this one specific group in order to control 
that specific group. Yeah. I mean, wow. it's really, you can, you can, it's over, I'm speaking over simply, but that's right. in my mind, that's where it all comes from. That's yeah. where homophobia comes from. That's where transphobia comes from. That's where racism can, can be propagated with. It's, the patriarchy is also okay. upheld by this. You know, it, we know that it, misogyny and racism go hand in hand with the patriarchy and it all centers around. And one of the aspects is the shaming of female sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when I started my journey doing what I'm doing right now, it kind of started off as, well, I mean, it, it, it all started because I wrote an open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut, and the slut thing came from him referring to Sandra Fluke as a slut Sandra for three, mm-hmm. yeah, for three yep. days, and demanding to see her sex tapes because she was arguing very eloquently and also very measured for uh, birth control to be covered on basically religious colleges, uh, insurance plans. And she was using an example of her friend, and I believe it was that her friend had a cyst or something like that, and how birth control pills helped her, and it was difficult for her to afford, and shamed and shamed and shamed. And it really sparked this national argument and conversation and it, it was nothing, it's nothing new that women are called sluts because maybe they enjoy sex or something like that. And in this case, it wasn't even about sex. It was about a cyst um, that could be helped with birth control. But it's just this endless assault on women for enjoying sex. And then if we say, if, if, if we try to, I don't know, to keep private about it, then we're called prudes. So it's like we just can't win. And it's interesting because, and this is one of the things that I also want to kind of just bring up with you, is I, I consider myself sex positive for a variety of reasons and everything that you just said. But, uh, but also, because as a little kid, I was fascinated with, I was so, I mean, I will refer to myself as a little prude. I was like weirded out by sexuality, but fascinated by it. It, it embarrassed me. It made me feel awkward but you know it's everywhere it's in the movies it's in commercials it's in television you hear about it it's it's just everywhere and so when you're a little kid you're so curious about it and you don't know where to get those answers and a lot of what you're hearing is negative or again it's the slut shaming or it's sex negative and so I my mom and I put together a book of stories of first-time sex and the goal was for that it's like to be sex positive and so I wanted to ask you as far as, I mean, I don't, you know, I obviously you're a gynecologist. And so when you start to see young girls, it's most likely when they start menstruating. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about that and say, what has your, been your experience with younger people and their attitudes about their own bodies and sex? I mean, do you find that a lot of the younger people that you see are, um, you know, okay with their bodies? Do they feel shame? What is your experience? Wow. Well, the, my experience is the, is the whole, it's across the board. Yeah. Um, I have generally, I know that the younger folks, you know, and I usually see them even early teens, they're curious Mm -hmm. and they're, and they're hungry for facts. Mm -hmm. They want accurate information. That is very clear. (laughs) And they have so many questions about things they've heard, things they've read online. Is this true? Is that true? I mean, that's that's what I spend most of my time talking to teens about is hmm. kind of like debunking any myths that they've heard and explaining what this means and what that means. And 
hey, by the way, can we talk about consent for a minute mm-hmm. or five or 20? Mm-hmm. Because that's not addressed, mm-hmm. right? So there's a whole, you know, their teens generally aren't going to their parents. Maybe they have a cool, like, cousin or aunt or uncle or something like that. But in schools, especially in, in states where sex education is almost prohibited mm-hmm. in schools, um, you get a lot of just questions. Mm-hmm. They, ju- they just want to know, and I think it's their right. It's their yeah. body. It's, it's just being a human being. And we do, our, we do damage to our children when we do not talk about what sexuality is and we don't mm-hmm. talk about how bodies work and we don't talk about what consent is and what feeling good is and when we shame masturbation and we say it's a sin and you're going to go to hell if you masturbate that's that is a complete contradiction mm-hmm. to what it means to be a human being mm-hmm. it's just unfathomably inhumane and the damage the psychological damage that it does i then see later yeah. I see people coming to me asking about, can you check my hormone levels because I think there's something wrong with my libido. I spend about 15 minutes asking general questions and come to find out they have mental connection issues with their own sexuality and they're just not where they need to be because they've been shamed their whole lives. Wow. That's fascinating. And it's, wow. It's fascinating. It's awful, and it breaks my heart. Yeah. And so I, and in, in my job, I can't fix that. Like mm-hmm. that's not something in 15 minutes I can fix. But I can call their attention to it, and hopefully, then they themselves can take steps because at least they've been told there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. There's something wrong with what you've been taught, mm-hmm. and that is so important. Wow, um, th- that is huge. And I actually, I'm gonna in a minute ask you about those hormones. Um, but before I do, is there any, um, you know, when I was, when I was asking people about their first time, one of the questions was, you know, what were the rumors that you heard surrounding sex? And, you know, of course, a lot of the people who, all of the people who responded were adults and they were going back to when they lost their virginity. So anywhere from 30 years old to I think 12, 12 was the youngest, almost 13, and she was a girl, and her partner was about her age, and she actually had a positive experience with it, and then there was a man who was, I think, 31 or something like that, and that was the first time he had sex, but this was always going back to when they first had first-time sex, and of course, I heard some of the average, typical bullshit rumors that you hear, like putting, up a, putting soda, like shaking up soda. Oh and, and putting oh it up God. your vagina to stop you from being pregnant. So I'm just wondering, have you heard some of, are, are these, these ridiculous rumors, are they still going around? Well, Kimberly, I practiced medicine in Utah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can tell you there are a lot of, oh, a lot of myths still going around. <laughs> wow, uh, that's so the sad. Church is not, it's not so on top of their sexual health education. Right. And, now I'm in Alabama and things are just different, but kind of similar. Wow. So, um, it's, you know, well, that's what, well, that's what happens when you have kids who are genuinely curious, like how many, you know, three-year-olds, they're asking questions Mm -hmm. from like the age of, I can form a sentence. Mm -hmm. And then to say, 
we're not going to talk about that. Well, guess what? They're going to go find the information yes, somehow. Exactly. It is just absolutely insanity. Yeah, I to mean, let it's... them have to their own devices to find that information. Yeah, because that's what they're going to find is you know bullshit from from people who don't know anything like their friends at school. I mean, it was funny because I mean I had that experience and I believe I was 6 years old when I asked my mom what sex was and she, you know, I mean she felt weird and everything because she understood that talking to a 6-year-old about penises and vaginas and of course she she explained it in a cis way in, in a very heterosexual way because she did not want to give me any more information than what I had asked. And so she was very blunt and she, even though she felt awkward, she said she just was very matter of fact about it. And and really, and I've said this before on my show, but what she said to me when I said, what is sex? She said, it's when a man puts his penis in a woman's vagina. And I mean, I was like, oh, horrified, but, but curious. (laughs) And then I asked her again, not the same day, but I asked again because it, it just goes to show you that, I mean, you can be this kid that's afraid of it or, freaked out by it but at the same time you're so curious and so she didn't give me any more it's like she I asked her what does gay mean and she explained that in the same way very matter of fact didn't give me any more information unless I asked for it but it was so funny because she had said to me later on that the way I looked at it was if you were old enough to ask, you were old enough to know. It meant that somehow, somewhere, you heard about it and you were curious and I wanted you to know the truth. And I knew this other person who was an adult who, who said, if you're too young to ask, you're too young to know. And I thought, that is the, the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life for what you just said. That where are these people, where are these children going to get factual information if they're asking friends or, you know what I mean? The, my friend told exactly. me, yeah, my friend told me before I had sex that it was really fun and it felt great. And <laughs> not my, that was not my experience on my first time. Eventually I had fun, but not that first time. And judging from the women who answered my questionnaire, for the most part, it's painful. You know, it's just a painful, awkward situation. It's not fun. It might be loving if you're fortunate enough to be with a partner who cares for you and, you know, has respect for you. Even in the best of circumstances, there's a certain amount of awkwardness because you've never done it before. And if you've if your hymen is still intact and it breaks, that fucking hurts. (laughs) Sorry, but it just really hurts. Right. And I always, I called it a ripping pain. That's what it felt like. It was, it was just agonizing. I mean, it was okay after that, but it, but it was never pleasurable. Not one minute. It was never pleasurable. And I was too embarrassed to ask my mother about that. So I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you, or I know you're an OBGYN and you're not a psychologist, but what advice would you give to parents who feel so awkward and afraid? um, And, and maybe they don't feel confident in speaking to their kids so explicitly, um, how, what could they do? I mean, you know, one of the suggestions that I would make to parents with this book is the book that we wrote is just leave it around so that the kid finds it. And then you don't have to worry about being a part of it. But like there are other books out there that talk about human sexuality. What, what's your best advice to parents who feels scared or awkward? Well, I'm really glad you asked that because I've been writing some notes about what I would say. So think about this, first of all. I will 
be the first to admit, I have not raised children. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is to give birth. I know what it is to deliver a baby. But mm-hmm. um, but with kids, I like to give this example. So a small child is learning to walk and maybe walking down the sidewalk and then all of a sudden falls and scrapes his or her knee. That child is going to react however the parent reacts. Mm. So if the parent freaks out and goes, oh, my God, are you okay? Oh, my God, no, let me see, let me see, let me see. That child is going to understand that falling to your knees on the sidewalk is a catastrophic event (laughs) and something that you should be very afraid of. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. But if that parent says, yo, you okay? All right, let's keep going. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think parents learn this very early on, right? Like parents get that memo sometime early on. But you do have parents who overreact to situations Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't be overreacting to. Well, conversations and how you frame it, it's just like having a conversation. How you frame it will determine how that child understands it. Hmm. So if something is framed in a way that makes the child afraid, mm-hmm. out of fear, out of a place from fear, like churches often do with sexuality, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. then that child is going to grow up being afraid of their own body and their own sexuality. Yes. And think of how much damage that does. Yes. That is horrific and unconscionable. Mm-hmm. So what I would say to parents is just be mindful. Just, I mean, kids are a sponge, right? And parents know this. Kids are a sponge. Mm-hmm. They're watching everything. They're watching what you do. They're watching how you react to a thing. You know, you, I remember something would happen and they're maybe like, I would feel bad about an accident, right? Something happened. I broke something or whatever. Mm-hmm. My mom would say, even Big Bird, you know, sometimes spills milk. Oh, okay. like, <laughs> You know, like, right. But like, but that framing is like, people are imperfect, Leah. Yeah. It's okay to be imperfect. Right. It's not the end of the world. That's, And that taught me that, you know, the world won't end if I drop a glass on the floor. Yeah. We'll just clean it up. Right? So framing. So same thing with sex and sexuality and bodies. I think your your mom did exactly exactly right. You do the age appropriate thing. Mm -hmm. You know, people are so adamant about you can't teach six year olds about sex. Actually you can Mm -hmm. because they know their body and also you should probably be telling them about what private areas yes. are and what touching oneself is because guess what kids are doing that at that age. Yes, they and are. And you do that in, pri- in private places, not in public places. Mm-hmm. And nobody should be touching you there mm-hmm. without your permission. And if somebody does, you know, like that whole thing, you want yeah. to protect kids. You want to protect your child. You would not say, you know, Go go swimming, it's fine. I, you don't know how to swim, but that's fine. You would teach your child right. how to swim before introducing them to a pool. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that's not, a great it's point. It's not rocket science. Yeah, that is a great so, point. You, you just, it's all about framing. And, and this is what I see in my practice. You know, people who've been married for 30 years come to me and they say, we're not enjoying sex together. And then, and they, you know, go into, this is what the church taught us. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> you know, it's, because their framing was all wrong from the very beginning from childhood. Yeah. Their framing was wrong and damaging. So that's what I would tell parents is just be mindful of how you frame things. Because if you frame something in a point of fear or in a fearful thing, mm-hmm. your, your child's going to grow up to be afraid. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and 
don't do that. I, and, you know, like I said, when when my mom said that to me, you know, oh, the dramatic response she got from that six year old little girl, penis and vagina, it was like, oh, my God. But at the same time, you know, after I I think part of my reaction was for my mother because it was so awkward to me to hear it. And I needed to let her know that it was a little embarrassing to me. Um, but because the, you were a sponge, you were picking up on her body language. Yeah. Yes. That and is, I mean, she, she felt embarrassed. She said she felt a little embarrassed, but she tried to just be stoic and she tried to just give me the facts. And, you know, and it's like, I mean, I, I think that if I've not, um, I'm not a parent. But it was funny, though, because my sister, I'm 18 years older than she is, and it was so funny because we were talking one day, and she said she was worried that she was pregnant. And I, I, I think she was 13. And I said, have you had sex? And she said, no. And I said, then I'm going to bet you're not pregnant. And, um, you know, and basically, and I know that my stepmom is actually quite sex positive, And I don't know, I think my sister is a little bit guilty of, uh, like, n- not being a hypochondriac, but being an, a, a worrier, which is r- like the gene runs in my family. We worry about stuff and we create problems. So I think she was operating from that standpoint. But I, finally, I got to the issue and I'm like, well, what happened? And I guess she laid on a bed fully clothed with a boy and then thought she was pregnant. And so I was like, no, that's not how you get pregnant. Do you know how you get pregnant? And she said, yes. And I said, how? And she told me and I said, did you do that? And she said, no. And I'm like, well, then you're not pregnant. But it goes to show you that even when you kind of understand things, you don't fully grasp what's going on. And your friends have maybe told you something that isn't true. And I think with parents, I mean, the best advice that I could give and that I did give is that, you know, don't start too late because so many times when I asked fathers specifically, if you were going to let your kid read a book about first time sex, what do you think is the appropriate age? And most of them said 18 and they get all uncomfortable and they freak out. And, um, and I'm like, okay, well that by that time they've pretty much already had sex. So it's just too late. And, you know, I mean, I, at 10 years old, was reading, and I've talked about this recently because it's been on my mind a lot, but I've read, I read the book Forever by Judy Bloom, which was all about first-time sex. And I was not interested in having sex, but I was absolutely interested in sex. And I, it's like you said, I was hungry for facts. The other thing I want to ask you, though, is, okay, so I understand that we shouldn't base everything in fear, but what about talking to kids, especially maybe you know, at that age, my mom sat me down at about 13 and she said, okay, you're going to start thinking about your teenager. Sex is going to be in your life. It's going to be around you. And I can't be with you 24 seven. So, uh, basically if you're, if you decide that you want to have sex, I mean, she gave me the whole, make sure it's with the right person stuff, but, but she said, you just come to me and I'll take you to the doctor and we'll get you birth control and I'm not going to judge you and I'm not, it's, you're not going to get in trouble. I just want you to feel comfortable because I don't want to be a grandmother at this point in the game. And um, I was so embarrassed. Oh my God, I was embarrassed. But I listened to her and um, I, the first time that I did have sex, I didn't tell her, but I did, I did use a condom at least. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking in terms of there are diseases out there that, you know, can last a lifetime, like herpes and other kinds of sexually transmitted issues that, um, like, how do you bring those up to kids in a way that, 
I mean, of course, it's a scary topic, but it's a reality that they have to consider. So, like, what would be a way you would suggest doing that? Well, first of all, it's not a one-time conversation. Right. I think that's what where a lot of people get mixed up is that you want to start these conversations, like you said, early mm-hmm. and generally well before the possibility of engaging. And I, you know, that to me in my, in my you know, not peer-reviewed <laughs> research paper of mind mm-hmm. means, you know, like 11-ish. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want to, you know, they're old enough to understand, but they're probably young enough not to want to do mm-hmm. sexual things quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that they're masturbating, so that's a jumping off point you can go into if you need to. Um, do not shame masturbation. Masturbation is normal. It's part of who we are as sexual human beings. Oxytocin is released when people have an orgasm. That is a natural stress reducer. So you certainly don't want your kids all stressed out. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, you want to have an ongoing conversation, first of all. And I think we can safely say that the, if you remember, like, in movies that you maybe watched, or even maybe your own health class, I don't know, but, like, the the scary VD, you know, mm-hmm. it's called venereal disease yeah. the, this is what your penis looks like with syphilis and it's a yes. frightening monstrous bit right like that <laughs> i've not, seen those yes do do not do that you can tell people <laughs> that they can get an infection that is treatable and these are infections that are treatable and these are infections that are curable you know and manageable whatever and you can do that without again a, a framing of fear right kids get it kids don't like being sick and kids probably don't want to be pregnant. Right. And you can do all of these things by saying, here's how you avoid that. And by the way, nothing in this world is 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can do, use the condoms, use the barrier methods, do all that. But sometimes things happen. So yeah. just be prepared that if this, you know, if these are your symptoms, we need to get you treated and seen and blah, blah, blah. So I think, you know, that's where it that's, I think the framing, honestly, it goes back to the framing. It's usually framed in shame, right? Mm-hmm. Don't have sex because then you'll get a, a, an infection and you'll be dirty. Right. Like that is wrong, Yeah. obviously. So you want to tell your kids, you know, sex is a good thing. People bond. What, whoever you decide that you are attracted to or want to have sex with, whatever, doesn't matter. But there are some things to keep your health safe. Yeah. And these are things to keep your body healthy mm-hmm. and to protect any future partners that you have and to avoid pregnancy if you don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to, you know, shame teenagers who are pregnant because some teenager, teenagers want to be pregnant. And that's yeah. up to them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their body. That's their life. And that's cool. So let's be sure that we, you know, monitor your health before you're pregnant, during your pregnancy, have a healthy birth, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it should be framed in such a way that, you know, again, the normalization of sexuality, I cannot believe it's the 21st century and I have to say we have to normalize sexuality. Come on. Yeah. But it's, it's been such human sexuality has, has been demonized. Mm -hmm. It really has. Just so harmful. So we really have to normalize human sexuality because it's part of being a human being. Yeah. 
Yes, I fully 100% agree. And again, this is why I wish you were my doctor. <laughs> because well, I just anytime. love your mind, <laughs> the way that you think. And I love the scenarios that you come up with to describe how you should do it, just like falling down on the ground. It makes so much sense. It's so reasonable. And I feel like, you know, parents get... Uh, freaked out about talking to their kids and then kids don't know how it's like it, like you said I mean it rubs off the energy that they're putting out there is soaked up and it's so important to in my opinion and I think in your opinion to make sure kids understand the true facts because I tr I honestly believe it's like you said nobody wants to get a sexually transmitted disease or venereal disease or whatever they're calling it these days and most teenagers don't want to be pregnant and so if they are armed with facts instead of fear i think they're more likely to make a more responsible choice um if even if they do decide to have sex because of course i think parents goal is for their kids to wait for as long as they possibly can and the reality is the kids are going to do it and the best scenario is for them to be safe and responsible. And I think they're, you know, like with the advice that I got from my mother, I did make the, the responsible choice to use a condom the first time I had sex. And after that, I always made sure that, you know, I had what I needed. And uh, I think that's really just the most important thing. But parents get so freaked out because they just don't want to think in terms of their kids being sexual. But, you know, you, you right. said they do masturbate at a very young age. So they're already sexual. Well, because they're also born a human being. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's, I mean, but that's, that's where we have to get to is yeah. to, to under, you know, to make sure that people understand that having a sexuality is like having hair color. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody has different hair color and it just, you know, some people are blonde, but there are shades of blonde. Some yeah. People are, you know. It's, it's part of the nature of things. Yeah. And I think that, have, I don't know if I would use the term responsible choice because everybody's idea of what is responsible or not is different, but at least kids should be making an informed choice. Right. And one of the super key aspects of being, you know, being able to make that informed choice is empowering them with factual information, hmm. like you said, and also talking to them and this gets probably later on into the nearing sexual activity phase consent mm -hmm. and active consent and revoking consent yeah and all genders of children need to be taught this so that we can reduce rates of sexual assault and we need to yeah. do that and we need to stop avoiding the topic of sex because this is where kids can get themselves into trouble because they were not taught what consent is, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, what revoking consent looks like, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. You know, we yeah. really need to be able to talk to our youth about sexuality. Yeah, in fact, I spoke with consent. an adult who was older than me in the last five years. And I pointed out to this man that... I can't re and I, I'm, I guess I had the assumption he understood this. So I was, I was just, I, I felt as if I was preaching to the choir, but I just brought up the idea that if you're, you know, in bed with a woman and she says, no, you don't get to decide that you still are going to have sex with her because then that's rape. And, and he was surprised by that. And it was, I mean, I don't know that he's raped anyone and I certainly hope that he hasn't, but the idea was like, oh, so if a woman says, Right at that point, like, you know, you've got a, an erection and 
for whatever reason, she decides that she doesn't want to have sex, you are not owed sex. And it was almost instilled in him that, okay, well, we've gone this far. It, it, we've got to finish it. And I think when you're young and, and, you know, there's this duo that I can't stand called Chicks on the Right. And they're just... Oh, I'm not a fan either. Yeah, horrible people. And they say things like, and I listen to them every once in a while because they've attacked me more than once. So I, I go and I listen to what they've said or read. And, and one of their things is like, duh, of course we teach our sons not to rape. But it's like... Okay, that has nothing to do with what you're talking about, which is talking about the nuances of consent and, you know, where it's like you say, no, I'm not interested, or you get up to that point. And, you know, again, erection and all that, he, he, he is not owed sex from the woman. But, but these two women oversimplify it in saying, like, of course I, te- I tell my son, don't rape. And it's like, well, that's not, you don't just look at a young kid and say, hey, don't rape. That isn't teaching consent. That demonstrates a lack of a lack of interest in the actual topic. Mm -hmm. That demonstrates a willful ignorance of what is sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what it would look like for you know them to look themselves in the mirror and say, "I'm not taking sexual assault seriously." Yeah, I mean, because that's what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so. I can look back at my own life and I have questions. Was that assault? Was mm-hmm. that, I mean, that was definitely coercive. Mm-hmm. I yes. feel like I was coerced in that moment. Mm-hmm. Did I, you know, have severe um, physical, like nobody punched me in the face. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I mean, there's different types of assault that can happen sexual and otherwise, obviously. And so there gets to be a question of like, was that assault? Was it? Was right. that rape? I'm not sure. You know, but mm-hmm. we are taught, in generally, that yes, again, very heteronormative and cisnormative. Men are entitled to sex. Women are supposed to provide that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember having in my brain somewhere, if I don't have sex with my boyfriend, he's not going to like me. Right. I mean, how how common is that? So yeah. that, but that in and of itself is coercive. Yes. So. You know, society coerces sexual assault and sexual the 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 lack of a need for consent, and we have to, as a society, demand mm-hmm. active consent, continuous consent, and the respecting of a revocation of consent. But as it is now, society doesn't require that. Right. That's so sad. Ugh, and and I mean, it's just. That's why we have rape culture and and everything that surrounds it. And it's just, it's depressing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you can catch them early, if you can teach them and talk about consent, and again, you know, it's not so black and white. It's not just about, you know, don't jump someone in an alley. <laughs> you know, it's not about that. It is about, there is coercion. And I, I don't know if you saw the, um, it was the show called The Morning Show with um, Reese Witherspoon and, oh, God, I can't remember, uh, Jennifer Aniston. Have you seen that? No, I think I, it's on my list, though. It's, I like it because they're, it, they address the coercion. And I think that it's, it's beneficial for, like, this man who I was mentioning 
to see those kinds of shows because they don't think about it. it. You know, I mean, I think it's just maybe the way they were raised and what they've been exposed to. So if they are exposed to a woman who consents, but only because she feels she has to, because she feels coerced, it's not a consent of, oh, yes, I want to be with you. It's I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I'm not with you, something bad will happen. I'll either get hurt. I won't get a job, I'll, whatever, or I'll lose a job or my reputation will be soiled. So, you know, there are so many layers to this. And, oh, it's so important for, for both sexes. And uh, I'm also talking in heteronormative terms, but it's like the boys and the girls need to understand you know, girls don't owe anything. They don't owe their bodies. And, you know, I mean, I did think, although here's a little quick funny story. Um, when <laughs> I was so afraid of sex and afraid of kissing and all of that. It was, it was embarrassing to me. I've, oh, I don't know why. I was very shy about my body. I did not want to get breasts. I didn't want to have the woman. I mean, eventually when I got it, I was fine. But the idea of getting my period it just freaked me out when I was a kid. So when I was about 14 years old, my girlfriend actually had had sex at that point. I hadn't even kissed anybody. And so I had a crush on this boy and all of us wound up. There was, it was my two girlfriends and then three boys. And we were in this abandoned apartment building all hanging out. And <laughs> it got to the point where, all right, makeout sessions started to begin. And I, I had not ever kissed anybody and it was not, I was not ready. So in order to get out of that situation, I was living with my single mother at the time. And I, I, I said, uh, I freaked out and I panicked and I told everybody that I had to go like on the spot because my mom and I had to go buy a tuxedo. <laughs> it was like, I don't, I don't know why that's what came to my mind, but it was, that's how I handled it because I just was so frightened, you know? Uh, and again, I was reading forever a book about first time sex when I was 10 but when I was 14 and there was this boy that I had a mad crush on right there in front of me I could not deal I was not ready for it so uh yeah I had to run and get my tuxedo <laughs> I like bolted <laughs> something very important very shiny that is a limited time of availability no I get that no, I, I get that, but imagine if you had been had been empowered with the language that you needed yes Exactly. What if you had been empowered with the language? Yeah. And it doesn't. And it doesn't mean. It just means that you are empowered in who you are. Mm -hmm. You can like this boy so much, but you can be not ready for sex with him. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that goes yeah. for adults too, right? Yeah. Like you can be interested in somebody, but maybe you're not ready to like go that far yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all human beings at different stages of development, and mm -hmm. imagine, imagine the the different life experiences that we could give our youth simply by empowering them. Yeah. By, by providing them with factual information, by talking about these things, by giving them a sense of it's okay. Mm -hmm. Just that in and of itself. It's okay to want sex. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not want sex. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be wherever you are and wherever you're at at whatever level of development you are, it's okay. And we don't do that. And it, it, I don't understand, yeah. frankly. I don't understand. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm going to switch gears here because I do want to, I do want to bring up the fact that uh, you have performed abortions 
and um, I know that there has been some controversy that you've been through, and I'm just wondering, and you're in red states. I mean, you said you're in Alabama right now. So, number one, are you currently providing abortions? Yes. And then, so what's your experience with that? Like, overall, as a doctor who performs abortions, and of course, in red states, what have you seen? <laughs> I don't think your podcast is that long, Kimberly. You keep saying, um, so what have I seen? Uh, it is, it's tough out here for an abortion provider. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm sure. No, I, you know, I'm not really, sadly, I've not seen anything much different from what I've seen in the past. Yeah. I guess I'll start there. Um, you know, providing any type of reproductive health care abortion or not, is difficult when the state laws go against evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. They actually make it illegal for you to practice good medicine. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I (laughs) I don't know how else to put it, but it's hard. (laughs) Do you think in these red states, are you getting Republican women? I mean, I know you're not finding out what they're political affiliations are but i mean in any cases are is it ever evident to you that you're dealing with a conservative who's choosing abortion oh you mean as a patient yeah um so that's happened uh in the past mm-hmm. i mean i've not been practicing in alabama for very long so um it's not quite time yet for me to be able to say anything about that but i i do know that generally um what i have experienced is mostly actually in non-abortion provision mm-hmm. i've had people say you know come to me as patients first of all like mm-hmm. they need a pap smear or whatever and they've said you know i don't agree with what you stand for i don't agree with what you do um but you know you're a very good doctor and i, mm-hmm. I think that you know i like the way that you treat me and i would like to just keep seeing you <laughs> Not surprising. So that's the thing. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, so I do get patients who disagree with me politically, mm-hmm. but medically want me as their physician because that's what I do. I mean, I practice medicine. I, because I, you're very good at it. You have a guys. great bedside manner. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean that too, maybe. <laughs> but I treat people, you know, I treat people with respect. Yes. Right? I, I have, I was... You know, as a baby, baptized Catholic, I took my first communion, and then somewhere along the way, I was like, I'm no longer Catholic. It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. And basically, I've lived by the golden rule. I do unto others as I would have mm-hmm. done unto me. And that has seemed to be just fine mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in guiding me in through this thing we call life. So people are often, sadly, surprised that I <laughs> treat them with respect. <laughs> and that, I think, speaks, that speaks more to... Let's just be honest. That speaks more to a the demonization that is Dr. Leotaurus. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot out there that wants to make me a monster. Yes. Right? Okay. But also, there's a lot in medicine, and I mean physicians, who are not doing right by patients mm-hmm. because of how our healthcare system is set up, because of systemic racism, because of misogyny, because of patriarchy. A lot of my patients are surprised that they are being treated with respect because of past experiences they've mm. had. So less to do with my 
ideology or my, not even ideology, my just practicing evidence-based medicine Mm -hmm. and more to do with just experiences that they themselves have had. Hmm. So we have a lot of work to do because our healthcare system is working exactly as it was designed to. Mm -hmm. And it was designed to protect and benefit a certain class and race of people at the expense at the expense of health and life and money and well-being of everyone else. Wow. And that has to change. Yeah. Now, do you think what do you think about this um, public option eventually leading into Medicare for all? Do you have confidence in it? Do you like it? I mean, I from what I understand and I'm not a healthcare professional, um, I like the idea of, of a public option because the way that I see it playing out is you're going to have people, it won't be a mandate, and therefore people won't scream about a mandate, and then they choose it, and they like it, and then they talk to their friends, and eventually it would roll over um, into like a Medicare for all. Eventually it, we could go into that. Is that how you see it? I think that that's a silly thing to do. It is. Why? Let me explain. Let me explain. Look at other developed nations. They have nationalized health care. Your taxes pay for your access to doctors, just like they pay for your access to police, fire, Mm -hmm. EMTs, road work, uh, subway systems, education. Why aren't we doing that? What, and I'll tell you, know the answer why, mm-hmm. because of A, capitalism, and mm-hmm. B, insurance companies, mm-hmm. pharmaceutical companies, hospital administrations. We have the most expensive health care system for the poorest health outcomes. Wait, but the then world. I'm confused. What What is, because, let me just rephrase what I said, because I, I'm for Medicare for all. I'm for nationalized medicine. And I feel like I don't think it's possible that in this country at this point in time that we're going to say, all right, we're going to get rid of all the insurance companies and start scratch with Medicare for all. I don't see that happening as much as I'd like to see a Medicare for all. I feel that going into it incrementally is probably the most, um, you know, like I, I, that makes the most sense to me. Feasible. Yeah. Feasible way. And so I, I don't know if I explained myself right, but you know, I mean, I will say this, my brother, lived my brother who was very centrist and not overly political but very centrist and cautious in many ways he's a democrat but you know i i I would i would even say like i in an ideology way maybe like independent but he's lived abroad he lived in italy and then he met this woman that he married who was living in england and she got pregnant while he was living over there. So, of course, you know, she had her baby and all of that stuff. And so he got to see firsthand what it's like to live in a nationalized, in a, in a, in a country with nationalized medicine. And I asked him, what do you think is better, the way we do it here or the way they do it in England? And he goes, oh, England, absolutely. <laughs> and, and again, right. you know, he is a capitalist and he is somebody who is very central, centrist. So he saw that. So, I mean, that's kind of what I like. I feel like the public option is basically our most feasible way to Medicare for all. No, it's true. No, and I, I, I definitely agree with you there. I think what I was trying to get at was that in phases, I mean, you saw like, the 
Affordable Care Act was phase one. Mm-hmm. And look at how much fighting there was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, people in power and people with money are not going to let go. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's a problem. And so it's it's like, I don't know. I mean, I certainly don't know how we do it. I'm not an economist. I'm not mm-hmm. a, you know, anything but a silly old doc in Alabama. But we have to recognize who's making the decisions and who's benefiting from these decisions. Yeah, and right. they're often the same people. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, because if, if, it, if we were to think about it, it's the same thing. I'm just going to branch off in a little bit of a different direction. It's kind of the same thing with student loans. Mm-hmm. Like I, as a taxpayer want to invest in students yeah. coming through their education now because I want there to be doctors to take care of me when I need them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So it makes sense for me to pay taxes that go to someone becoming an engineer, mm-hmm. becoming a physician, becoming an attorney, becoming anything in higher education. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that that is a taxpayer-based system like it is in other countries. Yeah. Because I want access to those things. I shouldn't put it on... Leah, who's going to then graduate med school with a quarter million dollars in debt mm-hmm. and then have to take a high-paying job that she doesn't need all that money except for the fact that she has a quarter million dollars in debt. Like, right. That is all part of the same system. Mm-hmm. You get rid of student loans because it's taxpayer-funded. Then you don't, but then you don't have high-paying salaries for doctors. Yeah. Uh-oh. Guess what? People aren't going into medicine for money. They're going into medicine because it's what they want to do. Yes, yes, absolutely. And how horrible would that be, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, like, all of these things, you have to look at the bigger picture. Like, it goes beyond just this one thing. So, healthcare access for all should definitely be a thing. But think about it in other terms that are already familiar, like a public school system, Mm -hmm. K through 12. But we should expand that to K through college, taxpayer funded, because I want to invest in the children who are our future. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. It's important to think about, it's important to think about it in terms that we kind of already know, but you see the powers that be are the ones who are gaining, have the most to gain from the way it is and Mm -hmm. the most to lose if we change it. Mm -hmm. And by lose, I mean not loss. I mean stop gaining. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to overcome. It just, when you think about it in its entirety, it feels exhausting. But I mean, you're absolutely right. That's that's what the issue is with what's going on. I mean, I hope at some point we can figure this out and go into nationalized medicine, although it would be very tough because of, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you take a look at what's happening politically in this country, especially right now. Like there was a guy on my show last week. And he said that, um, and I'm not saying Democrats are perfect, but he said that, um, you know, the Republican Party will split. It doesn't mean they're going to split 50-50, even if 15% of them choose not to vote for Republicans. Um, That's going to hurt them, and it's going to give Democrats the advantage. And at this point in the game, like I said, they're not perfect, but right now they're our kind of only hope. And, I mean, I always, I like to stress the, point that in order to create and keep effective leaders we have to as we the people keep the pressure on them and make them feel like in order to keep their jobs they have to please us because we're paying them and they're there to serve us they're civic they're they're civil servants and 
I'm hoping that eventually that we can get to that. I know that sounds very Pollyanna, so I'm not being unrealistic, <laughs> but I mean, you know, ultimately that, 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 that's always what I want to fight for. That's the, or work towards, I should say, that's like a goal. And I don't know, maybe in this, I, I, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had said something like the pendulum always swings. It always goes in the other direction. And we've been in this direction for so long and it's not easy to break because it's people in power. Like you were saying, there's money involved, there's power involved. So that's a hard battle to overcome. But, you know, I'm always hopeful and I'm always and people like you keep me hopeful because you're putting out those <laughs> facts and you're doing it in such a way that it just it's like listening to you makes me feel relaxed and calm. And that's how it no. should be. And I, but I mean it. Well, thank you. And that's why thank I want you, you to be my doctor because you just, you make it easy and you don't, it's, there's no drama. You're just like, I know people want to make you all about drama because, oh my God, you would do abortions. But it's like, you're not a drama person, at least in, in how you come off publicly. And it makes a difference because I, I imagine a lot of the people who are listening to this are going to feel the way I feel. Every time that they either see you tweet or they listen to you on any kind of podcast or whatever, there's just kind of this, I don't know, like there's, there's a sense of it, it, it'll be okay. We just, we just, <laughs> we, we've just <laughs> got to be reasonable. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. No, I'm serious. That's so funny. So, <laughs> okay, let me just tell you a little story. So it's not uncommon for patients to tell me the same thing, and I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> well, of course they do. Like, well, it's just funny because, like, I explain some sort of super complicated surgery to them, like, this is, like, a potentially out of the blah, blah, blah. And they look at me, and they're like, thank you for being so calm about that. Yeah. It may, and you know what? I, just, I am the scared, the scared patient, especially the dentist. I will go into a dentist, I'm 52 years old, and I'll start crying. I just, I get so scared. And I mean, I'm, I, I get embarrassed because I cry. But when I go into a doctor's office, I become a kid in my head. And I'm, a, I'm afraid. I want my mommy. I don't like it. It just scares me. And to have a doctor who can, who can make you feel good and feel calm, and I've had them before, you know, it, it, it means everything. You know, I've had, there was this one time I hadn't been to the dentist in a long time. So I was really scared of what I was in for. And it was this man and he, you know, first of all, he took a look at me and he told me that I needed to wear night guards or whatever. And I don't, cause I don't do mm -hmm. the, the, the grinding of my teeth. I think what I do is when I'm with animals or thing, kids that I think are cute, that's when I, I kind of clench my teeth real hard. I've always done that, and I think that that's what he's seeing. But anyway, so he told me that, and he said it in such a way that was almost like, you have to do it, and this is the way you have to do it. And it, it made me feel really uncomfortable. And, and it made me feel – it started this thing where, that I started crying. And I told him, I said, I'm really scared so you please just understand, I realize that I'm an adult and that I'm acting like a child. I said, and I'll calm down in a minute, but please just, you know, bear with me. And he, he just dismissed what I was saying. It was as if like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for it. And that was his whole attitude. And it, it made it my experience so uncomfortable. And I was so embarrassed for the way I behaved. And, you know, I can't, say that the next time I go to the dentist or the wherever that I'm not going to have a freak out. I'd like to be able to think that I'm an adult and I can stay calm, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Something happens to me and I get scared. And so to have but a doctor, 
Yeah. I know I'm not well, alone. That's anxiety. Yeah. I get in, that's no, exactly yeah, that's, what it is. I get filled but, with anxiety. And, but I'm going to go back to the idea of framing. Mm-hmm. I can frame. Oh, man. <laughs> Think about the power. I, I'm just going to let's. And people are going to take this out of context for sure. Hmm. But think about the power that a doctor yields. Mm-hmm. I could tell you, you come into my office and you're pregnant, and I could tell you it is going to be the scariest, most deadliest experience of your life. And then you walk out saying, I want an abortion. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Screw this. Yeah. Right? I obviously don't do that. But what I do is you have to give people facts, but mm-hmm. you can do it in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. Someone comes in, they're super happy. They're like, Oh, we've been trying to get pregnant. We're so happy. And I can be like, great. In nine months, your vagina is going to rip open. (laughs) So that's going to be fun for you. (laughs) I could say that it would be true. Yeah. Do I say that? Absolutely not. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like, so there's a power dynamic there. And so people in, you know, your dentist or whoever, and me as a surgeon, people are scared of surgery. Mm -hmm. I get that. And so I think, you know, I just go back to this framing, like I frame it in a way that's factual, but like, I'm also trying to keep them calm as I tell them that I'm going to cut open their body and (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, and it makes all the difference. (laughs) I think it does. And so when you're reading someone dismissing you, and I think a lot of physicians, I guess dentists as well, Mm -hmm. not a lot, whatever. It's been my experience that it is common enough Mm -hmm. that physicians do that, that it's not right. Yes, it is. It's common enough. It makes me sad. Yeah. And I mean, I've had other doctors that were great, like I said. So, I mean, it just, it really depends on the individual and, um, but one of the last questions I want to ask, I, I did want to ask you about bioidenticals, but we're getting into time thing here. So I'm going to save that for the next time I have you on. But um, so I want to go back to the abortion thing. And I just want to ask you, do you experience women who come in who feel shameful because they want an abortion? I would imagine in red states that you do. And if you do, how, how do you handle that? Well, I mean, of course I do. I think that anyone having sex is shamed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a general saying that happens. So there's already a long years background of having shame surrounding sexuality, having sex, and then getting pregnant, and then what you do with that pregnancy, and da-da-da-da-da, right? Mm-hmm. People have shame around miscarriages. Like, yeah. how sad is that? I know. Right? So, of course, the answer is yes, I have people come to me when they have shame. Um, my response is, I first of all, I don't... I might be able to read it off of them. I might not, but I do treat everyone from the framework of you're in power here. You're in control Mm -hmm. because they walk in and they see me and I'm the doctor and I'm the power person. Mm -hmm. And I have to establish with them. You're in control because if you need me to stop, if you need to adjust your body, if something's uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you need to tell me and we will work with it. Mm -hmm. You're in control. Hmm. And so I, I give them back their control. Wow. And what I try to do as well, especially if I'm sensing that they might be coming from a place of guilt or shame, is, and sometimes patients volunteer it, other times it's just something I kind of sense, mm-hmm. I will affirm that 
only they know what's right for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's right for them. Their parents don't know what's right for them. Their brother doesn't know what's right. You know, their partner doesn't know what's right yeah. for them. Only they can know. And some people come with um, a religious aspect of mm -hmm. shame to which I respond, you, this is between you and your God. Mm -hmm. This is, this is your thing. And if I know your God, it seems like your God is a reasonable God hmm. and your God loves you mm -hmm. and supports you in your decisions because this is a decision you're making and it's the right decision for you. Hmm. And from what I understand of God, the, I imagine your God is the same that your God wants you to do what's best for you. And then when you say that, do you see a like physical response that tells you or whether it's physical or something that they say that that puts them at ease? I, I often see shoulders drop, yeah. Like a, like kind of a because I mean, people like you know, I it's my job to read body language. Oh my yeah. gosh, I walk into a room, I've already assessed the patient right. is extremely anxious, or the patient is maybe a little distant and and may have some depression, or like mm -hmm. it's, I mean, that is my job. Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, a body language response. Oftentimes, that's the most common one, um, but usually it's a look me in the eye, and they will just kind of like either say thank you or with their eyes, tell me thank mm -hmm. you or, you know, right. it's there. Wow. That, I mean, your job is amazing. And the last thing I want to ask you with your bedside manner and, and your ability to put your patient patients at ease, how much of that was learned and how much of that is just you? And I'm not asking you to brag because it's not about bragging. You're a good doctor. <laughs> and I think that you should own that you're a good doctor and, you know, just, be proud of it. <laughs> uh, thank you. I am I'm struggling with that very issue these days, so I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I I will say I think it's it's natural for me, mm -hmm. um, but it is of course something I've developed. And I will also say that in medical training, as a med student, as a resident, you know, we come into contact with so many mentors. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, right. we do yeah. various rotations with various doctors who are overseeing us in our various stages of um, training. You pick up what you want to incorporate, yeah. right? And you pick up what you want to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's it's true. Mm -hmm. And I tell students that all the time. I say, you know what? You're going to see things that you want to do. You're going to see things that you don't want to do, and yeah. they are both equally important. Mm -hmm. So I will say I think it's just in my nature, mm -hmm. but it is something I think that probably through time has had a yielded a better response <laughs> yeah. know, from patients when when I can be calm and they you know it's a, a positive feedback loop I guess right so that, yeah. that side that side became stronger I think over time. Well, and I mean the kind of doctor you are also I mean, I as a woman going in for a pap smear putting your legs in the stirrups and then opening wide while this stranger goes into your genital area is extreme. Yeah. It's a vulnerable feeling and it's not so much for me. It's not embarrassing. Although I do always think about what they're seeing and I know that doctors see it every day and you know, it, it, you're seeing them all day long. You're seeing vaginas and whatever else you're looking at all day long. So it's, it's not, this big deal for you as far as you know like but me you don't do that all day long pardon me 
You no, I exactly. Doing that all day long. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, I don't do you, that, and I don't even look at my own vagina all day long. <laughs> it's like, I mean, so it's it's weird because you're just like, oh my god, does mine look weird? Does my, you know, like you have all these that, weird things that go through your head, and so you're another podcast, Kimberly. I'm it, telling you. Oh uh, well, I trust me. Well, I, I got to get you back sooner. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, we definitely because there's also the period blood conversation. There's so much about it, mm. but um, but. Yeah, but it's like it's a weird position to be in because you just feel so incredible. I mean, it's one thing to go to your ear, nose, and throat doctor and they take your blood pressure and they stick a te- you know a thermometer in your mouth. Another to spread your legs for a person, a stranger, to look at your genitals. It's just odd. So, uh, oh, absolutely. It's, <laughs> and it's, I have to no, but you're right because I have to in that role. I have to gain a person's trust in a very short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you do and have that somehow, temperament. I'm sorry? You have that temperament that makes it easy, and that's really important. That's just what I wanted to stress, that, you know, no matter what, I mean, as much as you have to gain their trust, um, me going into a doctor's, I've never walked into a gynecologist's office and said, oh, I don't trust you, I'm leaving. I mean, it's like a given that I'm going to do this. But the other part of that is, like you said, does do I feel trust with them? And, right. and so you're the way that you come across with your calm demeanor and your ability to put patients at ease, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. I can't even tell you. And especially because like my mom is going through all these physical issues right now. She has to have her second hip operated on in May. And the thing that's so upsetting is back in, oh my God, I don't even know how many years ago it was. It was a long, long time ago. She was complaining to people about her hip area and everybody was like, oh, it's nothing. It's just age. It's nothing. And looking back now that she's been through all this stuff, she did have issues that should have been addressed earlier. And unfortunately, Uh. both of her hips, her first hip collapsed in, it was probably in October. Maybe it was sometime last summer. So it was during COVID. And she's 74 years old and she's, she's in pain every day. Every single day, it's awful. And every time I call her, I call her every day, and she'll go, oh, my God, I had the worst night. And it, it breaks yeah. my heart. And, and this could have been avoided. But she had doctors, both female and male doctors, basically just saying, there's nothing wrong with you. And then the last thing yeah. I'll say is Sherry Jacobus, who um, I don't know if you're familiar, but she's a, uh, she's a political analyst, and she was just diagnosed with cancer and actually did a GoFundMe for her. But, you know, she had said that she had gone to the doctor because she had some issue. It was, it was, I don't exactly remember. It's not in her groin area, but maybe it was her stomach. I don't know where it was. But basically, she had an issue, and her doctor just said, oh, it's nothing. And she's got cancer. And oh, so man. it's like, it, you know, there are so many. And, and the other things that we can talk about in future podcasts are how women are um, not taken seriously, whether it's pain or whatever issues they're having. Because I think if my mom had been taken seriously, if Sherry had been taken seriously, uh, they would not be in the situation they're in right now. Things would have been addressed much earlier and it wouldn't have been this uh, awful and dramatic. So I'm just saying that, uh, again, not to kiss your ass and or anything, but I think it's just important. And, and I, you know, I mean, people like you are important and you do all of us such a service, even if you're not our doctor, with the information that you're spreading online and the way that you communicate with people, with trolls, with everybody. And I, I especially do love it when you get a little sassy, though. <laughs> I know that you're such a good doctor and a good person. 
person and then I see that sass come out and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I just really, I really, <laughs> I really do appreciate it. I was just wondering though, is there anything you'd like to add before I let you go? Um, you know, I think I would just like to add, speaking of, you know, good experiences, bad experiences, I want to empower people to seek the healthcare providers that make them comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yes. We're not offended if you switch. <laughs> That's good I've to know. People, yeah, I've had people leave me and get transferred to one of my partners. I've had people from my partners transfer to me. Like, mm -hmm. I promise we don't, I mean, we want to obviously care for you, but we're not going to be personally offended hmm. if you switch, switch providers. I think people are afraid of that. And mm -hmm. I want people to be with the provider that makes them the most comfortable. And I think that that sometimes is a rate limiting step that they're afraid that they don't want to, you know, right. their doctor. And that's, that's just not a thing, at least not for a doctor who knows that she's a good doctor. Right. It's not a thing. <laughs> right. Like a good, confident doctor. Exactly. Well, and that right. is good to know. I mean, I'm fortunate because my guy, my gynecologist has been very patient with me during the COVID situation because I'm just not going anywhere. And mm -hmm. so we had a uh, we had a phone consultation or actually it was the online consultation. She's like, you're coming in in, in, in July. <laughs> and I said, OK, I will, because I knew I knew I was just like last month and I knew the vaccinations were coming. And I said, I will. I promise. But I, I just I told her the truth. I said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to come in and my mom only has me. If something happens to me, that's it. She doesn't have anyone. I'm not taking the risk. And so um, right. fortunately, everything up until now has been good. So I've just been like, OK, so but I got to get my mammogram. I got to go get my my stuff done. And um, and I truly, you know, I, I do like my doctor, but it would it'd be better if it was you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at Leah and Taurus, T-O-R-E-S. And you can also support the organizations I am affiliated with. I am the medical director of West Alabama Women's Center, and that is alabortionclinic.com. Um, we are supported by yellowhammerfund.org. Awesome. Well, I'm also going to put the link to that interview with the Australian anti-abortion group. So everybody, I really encourage people to watch that because you will get so much information that you can use when you're dealing with people who don't have the accurate information. Again, it's not necessarily going to change everyone's mind, but it's so uh, it, it's such a great conversation because he has all of the typical anti-abortion arguments. And so, you know, mm -hmm. the, the stuff that you offered was just so much. It, it was it was so helpful to me. So thank you for that. But, um, you know, I think it's just going to be helpful for everybody. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And you can go on Amazon and you can find my books about first-time sex under my name. I also wrote a book about teenage, teen abortion called Peyton's Choice. So um, thank you, Leah. Thank you so much. And I am going to have you back sooner than later. It'll be sometime this year, and we're going to talk about all those other things. Awesome, Kimberly. Thank you so much. This is always a pleasure. Well, thank you. Take care.